0: You're seated, and we invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, 2017 for Dawson was a theme throughout the year of prayer. 2018 for Dawson will be a theme of the Word of God. And so there'll be a variety of of ways that that theme is going to intersect. If you're parents of uh, children this morning... First through fifth graders, you know that in our children's ministry, there is already this emphasis that is entitled, Eat This Book. And so you're already coming alongside of your children as they are committing to walk through God's Word in a way that is is connective, in a way that is is, uh, certainly culturally understandable to them at that uh, segment and season of life. Also, if you're a, a parent of students here this morning... You know, Lance and Abby, they've introduced foundations, which is this two hundred and sixty day Bible reading plan. We could we could go in other directions also, not only with student ministry and children's ministry, how the word of God and what we sing, the word of God in our local and global mission emphases will, will connect. And so you'll see that throughout twenty eighteen. I thought it would be wise for us to start at the beginning. Uh, for us, as we come alongside of that theme, to, to start in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11 is where we will be uh, for these months ahead as a church here at Dawson. If you did not grow up in church, if it was not a part of your regular practice to attend church, these first 11 uh, chapters of the Bible are probably familiar to you. In the sense that you really cannot understand culture. You cannot understand literature, movies, even songs without having a, a semblance of understanding of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the first marriage, they, a sinister serpent that comes in there, Noah and the flood, uh, the Tower of Babel. All of these things are cultural milestones that even in 2018 pervade our our language. They pervade our culture from TVs to movies to art to music. It's a part of it. Now, if you are here, and I know many of you, this would be the the case for you, that you probably grew up in some uh, denominational tradition, some church tradition, and it's these stories that you literally cut your teeth on. It's these stories that a a sweet uh, senior adult lady in vacation Bible school gave you Kool-Aid and those little Circle crackers that you can get from Sam's for like you know five thousand for four ninety nine, and 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 you have the flannel graphs if you're of that age, and so you you know these stories. These are foundational stories, but but I want you to hear me here. Oftentimes we can over really over I would say emphasize our familiarity with. God's Word to the, to the extent that we don't let it speak to us anew and afresh. We say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know that story. Adam and Eve, got it, check it off. Genesis 3, the serpent, got it, check it off. The sons of God, the daughters of Eve, weird, but I read it, got it, check it off. Noah and the flood, I mean, uh, got it, check it off. And so what I want us to do is to go back to these stories that are foundational for us, and are not just familiar for us, but in these 11 chapters of Genesis, there is an interesting way in which it allows us to understand our faith, and it allows us to understand the Word of God in these opening chapters here. This is really the greatest hits, Volume 1. All of the essential tracks and essential cuts are going to be in these sermons as we move forward here. Now this morning, if you're visiting for the first time, this is going to be a little bit of a unique sermon in the sense that we've got to fly at about a 35,000 foot altitude to get an overview of what we're doing in Genesis. We're going to land at the end. We're going to walk around in the scenery of the first two verses. And at this pace, you can be thrilled to know that we'll be finished with this series by 2021 here, two two verses at a time. So no, we'll speed it up, but uh, we're going high, then we'll land and we'll look at the first two verses. Now I'm going to do this with four questions, answering them in this sermon this morning. First question, if you're taking notes, this is a note-taking kind of sermon as we are looking at in the beginning. Who wrote Genesis? Let's just start this really quickly. Who wrote Genesis? The traditional answer is that the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Pentateuch, Penta 5, were written by Moses. Obviously, you can look in your copy of God's Word in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 24. You'll read when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end. Numbers chapter 33 verse 2 has a very similar reference to that. So we have in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch, you have these references of Moses actually writing God's word. Jesus in the New Testament, John chapter 5 verses 45 through 46, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is no one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Verse 46, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. So Old Testament, New Testament, we know Moses is writing down things that that have traditionally been ascribed as the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, there are obviously places where Moses would not have written some of these parts. Deuteronomy chapter 34 is a really good example there is, uh, there is the account of Moses' own death and the aftermath of Moses' own death. So we know that Moses did not write that part. So it, it is most likely that Moses wrote much. It's very difficult for us to know the percentage of what we have as the first five books of the Old Testament. But there would have been an unknown scribe, uh, Joshua or Ezra, uh, that would have come alongside, compiling, uh, working these things out. Now again, there's no contradiction To the inspiration of Scripture there, God, through the Holy Spirit, would use that process, and so we have the book of Genesis. Who wrote Genesis? What is the structure of Genesis number two? What is the structure of Genesis? A couple words that you just need to know as we think of this. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are what we know as the primeval history of the world. So the first 11 chapters are unique in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 50 is what we know as the patriarchal history. So in the book of Genesis, there's, there's really two sections. First 11 chapters, primeval. The rest of the book, chapter 12 through 50, is the patriarchal history. All throughout the book of Genesis, you're going to have this reoccurring uh, phrase... Reoccurring theme that structures the book of Genesis. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, you'll see this on the screen. You'll read, There are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Then you go to Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Then you go to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. I'm not going to read all of these references, but there are 10 references like what I just read in these three references here. The theme continues. Chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 10. Chapter 11, verse 27. Chapter 25, verse 12. Chapter 25, uh, Chapter 25, verse 19. 36, verses 1 through 9, and then chapter 37, verse 2. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, we're talking about the structure, how the Holy Spirit would have utilized Moses and others to compile the book of Genesis here. There are 10 times in the book of Genesis where we have beginning and generations. We have these phrases, these are the generation, these are the books of the generations, these are the generations, 10 times. Now, notice the artistry of this. The first five times are in the first 11 chapters. What was that? That's the primeval. The last five references are in the latter half of the book of Genesis here. There's an artistry. There's a balance. The first 11 chapters, the primeval history, is the panoramic setting. It's it's the wide angle lens shot of all of creation, the start of culture, the start of humanity, the fall of humanity. And then you get into the patriarchal section, and you have what? You have people, people's families. You have Abraham, and then you have Isaac, and then you have Joseph, and then you have Jacob here all throughout the latter half. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So you have in the book of Genesis the panoramic shot, And you have the close-up shot. Now, that structure is really important. Now, what do I mean by that? The way the Bible is given to us, because not only are the words inspired by the Holy Spirit, not only are the words helpful to us, but the structure, the artistry, the way it's crafted helps us understand what God values And so God values the wide lens, the wide angle. He he values the big picture, but simultaneously he values the close-up shot. He values all of creation and how it was formed, and also a little guy by the name of Abraham and their barrenness. And Isaac's issues. And Jacob's dysfunctional family. And, and Joseph being sold into slavery by these treacherous brothers of him. his. So you have the wide-angle shot and the close-up shot in Genesis as a book. Now this matters for you and it matters for me. Because there can be an over-spiritualization of our prayer life. T- to sound really spiritual, you'll get to a place where you're, you are wrestling with difficulty at work or at home, and you'll say something like this. I've heard this. Well, you know, God's got enough on his plate. He doesn't need me kind of given this kind of request because really it's a first world problem. And there's enough going on in the world to where my issue right here really doesn't need to get to the throne of, of God because he's got enough to deal with than just my issue here. So you, you might say, you know, there, there, there are mudslides in California that have havoc upon homeowners there. So surely God doesn't care about my house that's been on the market for the last year and will not sell. You would say something like this, there there are 125,000 Iraqi Christians that have had to leave their house in the midst of, of Islamic extremist persecution. So surely God doesn't have time for my marital issues? You might say here, you know, there are 37 million people that have HIV AIDS globally. So surely God doesn't have the time to be concerned with my flu at my house. And I just want to remind you, God, in his infinite wisdom, God in his infinite being is able to simultaneously handle the panoramic global issues while also having the close-up shot of your family's issues, your depression, your difficulty, your work issues, your marital issues, your family difficulties as you're a 16-year-old trying to figure out what does it mean to respect my mother and my father here? I don't really want to do that. God, in his infinite wisdom, has the panoramic and the close-up. So do not grow weary of not only praying for the big things, the salvation of people far off and far removed from your context, but also the salvation of your children and the healing of your children and the selling of your house. He can handle the big and the close-up, the panoramic and the close-up. Two questions that we've asked And we've answered, who wrote Genesis? What is the structure of Genesis? The third question this morning, what are the themes in Genesis? We're still at 35,000 feet. We're going to land the plane in just a second. The last question is going to help us land the plane. But before we land the plane, you need to know that the Hebrew title of the book of Genesis is Sheath, Not Genesis, but Sheath, And that's actually translated from the first three words that you see in chapter 1. In the beginning, Sheath. Genesis was translated into Greek. It was called the Septuagint. That's in 250 BC. And so when the Hebrew Old Testament is translated into Greek, the word and title of Genesis was given to what we have as the book of Genesis. And you know what Genesis means? It means origins. And this is what's fitting because this is what we're going to see, the origins of Genesis help us see what the themes are. The origins of the origin of life, the origin of marriage, the origin of work, the origin of evil, the origin of culture, the origin of languages, the origin of God's covenant people, and his plan to redeem us as fallen humanity. They're right here in the first 11 chapters. So the first book of the Bible is more relevant today for your family than it has ever been. It it has this eternal, as long as we're here on earth, it has this relevance because these are the themes that all of us have to face. Now there's a reoccurring pattern that you see early on in the book of Genesis. There's a pattern because there are five primary stories that order the first 11 chapters and they're all presented in the same pattern that helps us understand the themes of Genesis. So think about this. You have, create, you have the fall. You have the story of two brothers that don't get along, Cain and Abel. You have the sons of God going to be with the daughters of man. You have the flood. You have the towers of Babel. This is the structure. In all of those stories, you have that sin is described. So this is what sin is like. This is the way it has an effect upon Adam and Eve. This is the way it has an effect on two brothers. This is the way it has an effect upon a culture. This is the way it has an effect on Noah as he gets off the flood. This is the way it has an effect. So it's described. And then God announces the penalty for that sin in the first 11 chapters in this theme here. And then there's grace that's always introduced. So this whole false dichotomy, oh, the God of the Old Testament is so different than the God of the New Testament. Grace is right there at the very outset of the story. You see God covering Adam and Eve after their fall. You see God putting a sign upon Cain, not a sign of judgment, but a sign of protection upon Cain. You see, the ark is the sign of grace. Grace has been prevalent throughout the book of Genesis, and grace is the last crescendo of the book of Revelation. And then finally, you see punishment. God punishing sin. Now, this is important because it's a pattern. This is a pattern that you see in the first 11 chapters of the Bible that will help you understand how to intelligently, spiritually, uh, interpret all of the Bible. Because this thing... This theme of sin being introduced, the penalty of sin being there, but grace being there, and the punishment of sin having to be placed upon someone right there, this is the very understanding that we have of Christ. This is the very understanding of our need for the grace of God that is really found in the patterns that are introduced in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. It's 9.05, and this sort of sounds academic, and some of you are glazing over, so let me help you with this. Okay, so TBS runs the Christmas Story special marathon, and so we're like three weeks away. You could have watched uh, Ralphie wanting to get a BB gun and being told that he's going to shoot his eye out with the BB gun. You could have watched that for 24 hours, like seven days uh, around the Christmas holiday. And I'm sure many of you did that, I guess. So uh, so the Christmas story has all of these side uh, stories. And, and they're really funny and they're very memorable. And so some of you have these kind of tacky lamps because it's, a, it's an homage to the Christmas story and those kinds of things. And so one of the side stories of the Christmas story is that he, Ralphie, it wants to be a part of, do you remember this? He, he wants to be a part of the Orphan Annie Secret Society. And well, he actually is a part of that, but he, he's, he's trying to get enough points and enough things to get the decoder ring. And so he finally gets the decoder ring. And you remember he's on his bed there, and he's decoding the secret message. And he gets to the end of it, and it says, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. That's really funny. You're supposed to laugh right there. So... <laughs> Punchline, can we get that up there, John, next week? Punchline, laugh now. Okay, thank you. So so those are the early chapters of the book of Genesis is a decoder ring that helps us understand the themes for the rest of the Bible. Sin, penalty, grace, the punishment of sin. You can't understand your need and our salvation apart from those themes that are introduced in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Three questions that we've answered. Who wrote Genesis? What's the structure of Genesis? What are the themes in Genesis? Final question. We've been at 35,000 feet. Let's land the plane. We're going to walk around two verses here. Let's read them together. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. In your copy of God's Word, read along with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the first two verses primarily answer to, uh, for us, who is God? This, this is the first instance that we have of the Bible speaking to us, and what you discover is that God is the primary subject of this book that God is the primary subject, that God is the subject line in the first line of the Bible. We are not in the first chapter of Genesis. We have Elohim, the Hebrew word for God. It is mentioned 35 times. God said, God saw, God separated, God called, God made. God is everywhere in the first scene of the opening act of what we know as revelation here. God stands at the center of the stage and there is a spotlight upon him and he is the center of attention. Now this is a tremendous reminder for all of us as we read our Bible. Because there, there's a lot of, of folk theology there 's a lot of common sense understanding of the Bible, these adages that get thrown around that seem to be true, but they 're very far from what we have in the Bible. so you 'll hear people say, "You know the Bible is really the Bible is really advice for 21st century living. The, the Bible is really your guide to your best life now. You read the Bible?" And there are all of these fortune cookie kind of verses that you can hold on to. And you want your best marriage now? Read the Bible. Best parenting now? Read the Bible. It is your best life now. Now, we read through 11 chapters. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, humanity before the flood. Noah, he's naked and he's drunk after the flood. And these are not stories showing us how these patriarchs of the faith live their best life now actually what it shows us is that we can't and we don't live our best life now as individuals in our marriages as siblings that culture stains everything but there is one who does not give up on his creation and that is God the primary subject of this book This is God speaking to us. You are far from me, but I'm coming to you. You've disappointed yourself. You've disappointed others, but I'm sticking in here with you, that I have you as my prize. I'm not giving up on you. I love you so much that I am going to put skin in this game. This is the thing. Themes that we discover really even in the foreshadowing of the cross in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. God is the primary subject. But God also is the eternal creator. Now we're going to talk more about this next week. But let's just whet our appetites for the further conversation. So the opening two verses answer a question that most five-year-olds are going to ask you parents. And the question goes something like this, when was God born? How old is God? Is God older than you, Daddy? Is God older than you, Mommy? All those kinds of questions. Has there ever been a time that God wasn't present? All those kinds of things that uh, inquisitive kids will come to a time and ask. And what's important for you to see in these opening lines of the book of Genesis is that God is present. Before time, there's God. Before the world, there's God. Before the universe, there's God. There's always been God. There will always be God. He is one who has no beginning and he is one who has no end. He is eternal. We are temporal. We are earthbound. We have a time of birth and we have a time of death. But this is the good news of the gospel, that when we trust Christ as our Savior and Lord, what is his becomes ours. So we who are earthbound, we become eternal because what? We are grafted in. We are connected to the eternality of our creator, who was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even there in Genesis chapter 1 as we see the Spirit hovering there. It's important for you to see that not only is he eternal, but he is creator. Notice in the opening words of the book of Genesis here, we see God doing what he creates. All throughout Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see God creating, and the word that is used in Hebrew there is bara. That word is a word that is only used for God. It's never a word. Moses doesn't bara, he doesn't create. David doesn't create like this. Noah doesn't create like this. I mean, he builds the ark, but he's not creating in in a bar kind of way. That word is exclusively tied to the unique way that God creates. When when you make a cake, even when you make it as as a homemade kind of cake, you don't produce the flour. You don't produce the sugar. You don't produce the seeds. We, We have to draw upon the raw materials that are here. But God, different from us, Creates out of nothing. The the Latin phrase for that was ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing. So there, there wasn't anything and there is creation. There isn't anything and then there is light. He is creating in a way that it's exclusively his prerogative because he's the eternal creator. The anonymous writer of Hebrews would say it like this. That by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So there's nothing visible, and then he creates. He creates, the Bible tells us, the heavens and the earth. He's the sole sole source of all that exists. Now, Stephen Stephen Hawking, who's a Cambridge University physicist, he he talks about the galaxy. Think think of what Hawking says here. The galaxy is 100,000 light years across. It's hard for me to measure light years. So so he tells me that that is 600 trillion miles. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is one of 100,000 million galaxies that can be observed. Each galaxy has 100,000 million stars. This is an immense creation when we think of the universe, when we think of the galaxy here. Now, not only does he create, again, in that panoramic way, but there's a close-up shot. So he creates every atom of us as individuals. And as us as individuals, we're 99% hydrogen, carbon, and oxygen atoms. You count all of those atoms in your body, in my body, as we exist here. And that is seven followed by 27 zeros. So what the Bible is telling us is that our God creates the vast expanse of the universe. And he simultaneously creates the specific, specific intricacies of each of us. You see the movies, you see it at work. They're CEOs, they get the big picture, but they don't get the details. They're really good at 35,000 feet, but they're not really good with people. They're not really good with names. They're not really good with the ordinary day to day issues. Or you see it at work a manager who, who gets the ordinary issues that make that place run from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday, but they're not good at vision, they're not good at inspiration. And here we discover God in his infinite wisdom, who is both the creator of the vast expanse, but also the creator of you and your specific intricacies. So I don't know what is hounding you this morning. I don't know what you come in this morning and, and is, is really an obstacle to you lifting your head and lifting your hands and saying, thank you, God. I don't know if work is difficult this morning. I don't know if if life at home is difficult this morning. I don't know if there's just a malaise, post-Christmas letdown. I don't know if you're just in that neutral spot where it's not really all that great, it's not all that bad, and it's just like one more day. But let me give you some fodder for Thanksgiving this morning. Tonight, get as far as you can. You don't have all these lights, it's difficult to do in Alabama, or not Alabama, it's difficult to do in Birmingham. And look up and see on a cloudless evening and join the psalmist in saying, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And not only look up, but look in the mirror And understand what you see in the mirror and and praise God from Psalm 139 that says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is what we have to thank him for. This is the fact that is more important than any feelings that you have. This is the effect of his existence that interprets our existence. But not only is he the eternal God who is the primary subject, but this is the good news. He desires to have a relationship with each of us that are in this room this morning. Kathy Keller, who is the wife of Tim Keller. In a book, this wonderful book on marriage called *The Meaning of Marriage* tells a story that when she was a little girl, reading the *Narnia* series, that she decided that she was going to write C.S. Lewis. Oxford on there, this mere Christianity, screw tape letters. By the time Kathy Keller's writing Lewis, he's become uh, really infamous for his Narnia series, and so he she writes Lewis, and guess what? She gets a letter back. She writes him again, and she gets a letter back. She writes him again, gets a letter back. Writes him again, gets a letter back. Uh, before Lewis died, the month that he died, Kathy Keller, the wife of Tim Keller, pastor in Manhattan, New York City, gets two letters back from C.S. Lewis. You can go to Lifeway, you can go to Book's million or Barnes and Nobles, and you can get letters to children. Lewis wrote over 3,500 letters that we have. Many of you know. I mean, you don't have to watch TMZ to know this. You don't, you don't have to, to, to read any kind of uh, publicity magazine that when people, ordinary people, hit it really, really big, oftentimes there are obstacles to intimacy because of their popularity. The bigger they get, the more they can't stop and sign everyone's autograph on the way to the ball field. The bigger they get, the more they can't stay after the concert and just meet adoring fans because they're crushed by the immensity of their popularity. But here is God, the eternal subject. Here is God, the eternal creator. Here is God who has always existed. Here is God who really has no beginning, nor does he have any end. And this is the good news, that this God so loved you that he would send his only son. That he has written to you a letter. It is the word of God. And as we open it, we hear his voice speaking to us that I've always been and I have you as the affection and object of my love. Do you know that? Do you know him? Do you know that he desires to know you not only now, but for an eternity to come? This, this is God. This is how the Bible starts. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word and the way that it speaks to our hearts. I pray for the person here today that doesn't know that the creator, eternal God, desires to have a personal relationship with them. I pray for the person here today that has never bowed their knees, understanding that the themes of Genesis, the themes of their life, they have sinned just as Adam and Eve have sinned. They have sinned just like Cain and Abel have sinned. They have sinned. We have sinned. But thank you that you have a plan for us, that you, eternal creator God, desire to know us, redeem us, have a relationship with us. I pray that right now, that there would not be a person in this room, but that would not be encouraged by who you are and what you have done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.